Thank you for listening to the Calvary Monterey podcast. Please visit calvary.com to learn more about our church and visit nateholdridge.com for additional Bible teaching from our lead pastor, Nate Holdridge. Teaching today is our assistant pastor, Jeff Buck. We have a special little presentation that the pastors who are all up here with me on the platform want to give to you today. Uh, let me read a scripture though to set the tone for this. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse 12 and 13 says, we ask you to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Uh, Romans 13 verse seven goes on to say that we should give honor to those to whom honor is owed. And uh, this year, what we wanted to bring to your attention is that Pastor Jeff Buck has just completed 50 years of pastoral ministry. <laughs> We've chosen today as a day that we wanted to honor him for uh, his five decades of faithful service to Jesus. So you can see some great, a great wow. trip down memory lane here. I had black and, hair. Uh, yeah, early. <laughs> Early on in his ministry, the camera was invented and... Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Now, in a moment, Pastor Jeff is gonna share the word with us. He's going to teach us about this beautiful woman, Mary, from Luke chapter one. And uh, Jeff has taught thousands of sermons over the course of these last 50 years. He's guided and counseled thousands of believers. Uh, he's led thousands of gospel-oriented initiatives. Uh, he's officiated hundreds of weddings and hundreds of funerals. Uh, he's stood with God's people, with God's church during our most joyous moments, but also our most painful moments as well. On both coasts and even in between, Pastor Jeff, for 50 years, has been a gospel lighthouse in a dark world. And for us here at Calvary Monterey, for these last 15 years of that 50-year run, Jeff has infused the atmosphere of this church with his tenderness, with his strength, and with his compassion. Uh, we are only the last in a handful of churches that have benefited from this man's faithful care. Uh, before Jeff arrived here, he served primarily as a senior pastor, planting churches, leading churches, uh, being the primary uh, communicator, speaker, teacher of scripture. He regularly proclaimed sermons uh, from and of God's word to God's people. Uh, now, he doesn't do that as much here, that's my responsibility and privilege for the most part. And so even though, but even though he's preached less frequently in this church, I believe that Jer Jeff has saved his best sermon for last. I think it's here that Jeff's life became his message. And I think it declared many great truths to us over these last 15 years. One message that Jeff's life has proclaimed is that we matter to God. 
Uh, Jeff faithfully, week after week, tirelessly positions himself wherever we are as God's people. I mean literally and physically, on the patio or in the lobby or walking the hallways, Jeff puts himself where God's people are on purpose so that he can interact with us. It's his way of trying to catch us in the regular flow of our lives so that he might love on us. And that attitude and example has told us that we matter to God. Another message that Jeff's life has proclaimed is that God is worth following. Jeff has repeatedly rebuffed the desires of the flesh and the world that all of us battle with because he's chosen God instead. You know, people like to tell us in this modern day and age that no one is truly faithful, uh, that no one will truly make it to the end, that everyone at the end of the day is really a hypocrite. But Jeff has shown us that this is untrue, that God is worth following to the very end of life, not that your life is over. Thank you. And Jeff's life has also proclaimed that God's church will endure no matter what. He's, in a sense, seen so much. He's seen the rise and fall of generations. He's seen the rise and fall of movements within Christianity. He's seen the rise and falls of even the most wicked ideologies. And he's been confident and has asserted through all of that that the gates of hell will not prevail against Jesus' church. He's believed that God is still working, that God is still moving, and that God is ever faithful to his bride. So this Sunday, we praise God that in the summer of 2008, Pastor Jeff made the decision to move here with his wonderful wife, Denise, to serve Calvary Monterey. But we are, to an even greater degree, rejoicing that all the way back in 1972, God grabbed a hold of a man and invited him to shepherd his sheep. And we rejoice that this man, for 50 years, has been saying yes to Jesus' invitation. So, Jeff, we love you and we honor you this morning. As a token of our appreciation and love, some beloved people have put together a wonderful book for you, Jeff. I gave it to you in the first service, and I'm going to give it to you again. Thank you. Second service. It's a book that's filled with stories and uh, notes of encouragement and photos just telling you as a church how much we love and appreciate you. Thank you for ministering to us, brother. Thank so you. Here I you can't go. wait. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I'm going to invite Pastor Manny to pray a prayer of thanksgiving for Pastor Jeff and also pray for Pastor Jeff's continued work serving Jesus. Lord, we come before you and we thank you for this brother, this man. Thank you, Lord God, for what you've done in his life, through his life, Lord. Some of us, all of us here, have been impacted by your work through him. Lord, thank you for the years of wisdom, Lord God, that have flowed from his lips Thank you, Lord God, for his prayers. Thank you, Lord, for his sermons that have encouraged us, exhorted us, taught us more about you that have, you have used, Lord, to shape us into the image of Jesus. 
Lord, we pray for many more years of blessing upon him, Lord, that many others would be impacted by the work you want to do through him. We love him. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you. Okay, that's enough of me. That will last me for a while. Thank you. Hey, go with me to Luke 126 for a message that I have entitled, Mary, What a Woman. Kind of a funny title, but there's just no one like her in the annals of Scripture. I mean, what she is called to do, what she became what she means to us today, she is without parallel, without equal. We're going to go through verses 26 on through toward the end of the chapter and look at five different things that we can glean from Mary's life. If you're a note taker, I don't know what parts of this will be on the screen, but if you're a note taker, you're going to see five different things that we can glean from this woman that we so esteem. We're going to see, number one, the blessing of Mary being chosen. It's wonderful to be chosen. It's, it's bad when you're left out when they're, like, recruiting people for the, uh, the baseball team or whatever, and you're never chosen. All over the earth, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro, Second Chronicles, I think it's 12.9, looking for those whose heart is completely his, that he may show himself strong. And here's God looking all around the earth, and he chooses this woman from this small village of Nazareth to bear the Messiah. So number one, she's chosen. And then number two, we see in the text of the passage, she is favored. The favor of God, the touch of God, the blessing of God, the enabling of God, the power of God is anointed on her life. The third great lesson from Mary is in this encounter, which we'll read in a moment, she yields to God. What God is asking her, she doesn't fully comprehend. Even with a little bit of explanation, she gets, it's still something of a mystery. But in the end, she says, yes. Number four, she believes. She was a young woman of 13 but she believed the word of God through that angel. Faith changes everything if you walk the line of faith. And finally, at the end, the Magnificat, 56 to 66, she praises. Praise is the ultimate credit to God that you give when you simply walk with him, you recognize what he's done, and then you tell others, here's what God has done for me. So let me read some of these verses, follow along. Mary, what a woman. Very familiar passage as we're in this Christmas season. In the sixth month, Luke 126, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth. And I love the next preposition, to. This is a visit to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. 
And he came and said to her, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And she's freaked out. It says she's, she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. That verb found is usually around somewhere where the word favor occurs. We don't earn favor, we find favor. It's something that God grants to us out of grace. And behold, you shall conceive in your womb, bear a son, you shall call his name Jesus. And look at the five things that Mary must be just overwhelmed that she's being told about this son that will be given to her. He will be great. Number one, he will be the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And I love this last phrase, number five. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. When everything else disappears, one thing will be left, the kingdom. And your son will be the head of that kingdom. And Mary said to the angel, I really like this. She says, how will this be since I am a virgin? 13-year-old, tiny little town, and she's asking, how is this, this going to be? Now, you remember Zacharias said something similar back to the angel, and he had to be silent for six months. He kind of got the smack treatment. But, she, but this is her body. This is her life. And she's politely asking, how is this going to be? And these sacred, discreet, beautiful words, verse 35. The angel is explaining this. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Notice those words, come upon and overshadow. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And then, because this is obviously an overwhelming kind of experience... He, he, the angel encourages her. Verse 36, now behold, remember, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month of her who was called barren. Verse 37, we'll look at it later, for nothing will be impossible to God. And what does Mary say? Behold, I am, best translation, the bond slave of the Lord. Be it unto me according to your word. Now, that's complete yielding and submission in an overwhelming moment. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. She entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth, her relative. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry. Now, a loud cry is a loud cry. I'm not going to try to imitate it, but she was, she was hot. She was, she was happy. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And, and notice verse 45, the summary of this whole experience of Mary. 
And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. What an overwhelming experience. She was young. Mary was obscure, unknown, untraveled from a small village. In other words, she's perfect. How the Lord loves to bypass all the fanciness of this world and all the, the high mucky mucks and, and people that think they're really something and then travel and find you. Someone who maybe in the worldly sense isn't grand, important, wealthy. But the Lord chose I have no idea why in December of 1972, two young people from the campus Bible study at Central Missouri State University that I was attending and often leading because no one else would do it, (laughs) came to me, knocked on my dormitory door, and said, we would like you to become the leader of our group. Now, this was just an obscure Bible study of 30 or 40 people. But God had already been knocking on my heart about giving my life to the ministry. And I made a vow to God. I didn't know that's what it was, and I don't know if you're supposed to do this or not. But I saw so many people fall away from the first wave of 80 or 90 Jesus freaks in my high school that I was just wounded to the core. And I remember saying to God, When I was 17 years old, Lord, I don't know how to help prevent people from falling away. I don't know how to teach people your ways and your word. I don't know any of that. But if you'll ever let me see again, these were my words, if you'll ever let me see again this outpouring of the Spirit, I will dedicate my life to keeping people solid in their faith. 17 years old, no idea what I was saying, and a year and a half later, there's the knock. 1 Thessalonians 1.4, Paul says to the church at Thessalonica, brethren, you know of God's choice of you. When God chooses you, the wise thing you do is choose his choice. One of the ways that you stay solid is you choose the choices that God has given you. You repeatedly choose your husband and wife. If you're in the unmarried state and you don't have options in front of you from the Lord, you choose that. Life is just a string of choices. And if you can make good choices, especially when you know they're the choices of God. I was young and dumb. I had no idea what a life of ministry would mean. So I wasn't afraid. I was too dumb to be afraid. And I had no idea what those 50 years would would mean. No idea whatsoever. Had I known, I probably would have uh, not been so happy about it. But what a mystery when God chooses people. You know, I get saved in this Bible study. The first time I ever went to a Bible study, heard a gospel message, I got saved. And then I watched all these people fall away shortly. But I remember thinking, why me? Why would you pluck me out of all that I was doing in my junior year of this high school? Why, God, have you chosen me?
to be saved. I, I still wonder, why, why me having all of these blessings? But I guess the first point, Mary was chosen. And how wonderful it is when the spotlight goes around and around and around and comes upon her. A little 17-year-old who's having now this experience of what this choice is going to mean. And so she's chosen, and number two, she's favored. We see in these verses a greeting that's so intense in verse 28. Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And verse 30, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Now, if you study Old and New Testaments, there has not been a greeting like this for 600 plus years. The last person that was greeted like this was the prophet Daniel in Daniel 10. And if you want to look for homework, this is so interesting. Daniel uh, 10, 11, and 19, another angel comes. It doesn't tell us if, that it was Gabriel or not. But to this angel comes to Daniel and says twice the same words. Says to him, Daniel, O man, highly favored. Some versions say, O Daniel, man of high esteem. The Hebrew says, O Daniel, O tasty man. That's what the Hebrew says. In Daniel 11.3, where it talks about fasting for three weeks and eating no tasty food, same Hebrew word. God is saying to, to Daniel, I love you. I enjoy you. You are pleasant to me. And see, when you're chosen by God and you're in Christ, Ephesians 1, 6 says we are all favored with favor and graced with grace, God loves you. God cares about you. God knows all about you. He's created you, and he treasures you. And this is what we see in her life. Not since the prophet Daniel was anyone greeted like Mary was. She found favor with God. And the greatness of the child that she will bear, how overwhelming to hear these five things, that it'll be great, son of the most high, he'll sit on a throne, he'll reign over a house, and he'll have a kingdom. I, if I were Mary, I would be completely flipped out. But in verse 34, she asks that question, which we talked about, and this wonderful explanation, the Holy Spirit will come upon the power of the Lord will overshadow. I don't know about you. I've always wondered, what was that moment like for Mary? Was there some specific moment where the Holy Spirit and the power overshadowed and came? Did she, was she aware of that moment, of this supernatural impregnation? You know, we don't know. But it's a pretty intense thing for for. This, for you to be told what's going to happen to your body <laughs> with the Holy Spirit and with power. She's encouraged, you know, by her, her cousin who's, who's also conceived. But this, this answer in verse 38, Behold, I'm the slave of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. What a courageous answer. I wonder if there's anything 
quite as intimidating as just fully yielding yourself to God. What a scary thing. If you keep your finger there and look with me to Romans 12, verse 1, a very familiar passage. And as your brother in the Lord, I want to encourage you. One of the best things you can do is take Mary's example of this complete yielding of your, your literal body to God. Romans 12, I hear the pages turning. Beautiful. Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. There's no higher worship than giving your life and your body to God. To actually say to God, this body... It'll live where you want me to live. It will marry who you want me to marry or not marry. It will go. It will come. It will sit. It will do whatever you want, this body. How hard that is. I don't know about you, but my body has strong opinions. And my body has all kinds of things it would, would like to do or eat or, or whatever. But if you can, if you can do that... If you can present your body to God and say, I belong to God. This body is just, it's a tool for you. It doesn't mean you don't have fun. It doesn't mean that you don't have a a great time in life. But in the overall sense, you climb up on the altar, and that's your worship. And the greatness of Mary was she said, this is my body. You can have it. And what's interesting is in verse 27 Notice it says, for nothing shall be impossible with God. The Greek there for nothing is just the word rhema, which means word. The right way to translate it is no word will be impossible with God. No word that God speaks is impossible. One Greek scholar wrote it this way. Every word that God speaks contains within itself the power to fulfill itself. In other words, if God speaks something, it's impossible for it not to happen. Run that around in your mind. If he speaks a directive word, it must happen. That's one of the wonderful things about Mary is she believed in the spoken and written word of God. Oh, I encourage you to read your Bible as much as you can. I'll talk about it more in a moment. But she yielded her body to God. What a great woman. 13 years old. Funny, she was from the city of Nazareth. Now, if you've ever been on an Israel tour, you've been to Nazareth. And it is not a great metropolitan place. But in the days of... Mary, it would have been three to 500 people. On my third Israel tour that I led, our bus driver, who was from Nazareth, uh, Michelle, invited us to dinner at his house in Nazareth. And so I've been there and, and seen the city and had this wonderful meal that he said his wife had been cooking for three days because they are so honored to have guests in a home. But it was a small place. You look at Jerusalem, you look at Tel Aviv, you look at the big cities, and then you look at Nazareth. 
just not a lot there. But that's what I like about it. He chose, chooses this wonderful kid who's young, obscure, unknown, untraveled, and she's perfect. So she's chosen, she's favored, she's yielded, and number four, she believes. She believes, as we've been seeing here, that what's been said will happen. Again, verse 45, blessed is she who believed. Could I say that again? Blessed is she who believed. Faith attracts blessing. Is faith scary? Yeah, at times. One thing about faith is faith always deals with what? The impossible. If it's possible, you don't need faith. But faith is for the impossible. And every one of us is staring today down the barrel of something impossible. We've all got issues, all got problems. But faith, I just love Romans 10, 19. Now, faith comes by hearing, remember? And hearing by the word of God. God is faithful. I've said, I've said to you before, God through my mentor, used to, to, to say to, to large crowds around the country when he would go, if I could say one thing he would say to the next generation, I would say, God is faithful. I would say to that, the next generations after me, God never forgets his promises. God never forgets his word. God never forgets what he has spoken through scripture about us. And those little things that you believe that God may have spoken to you about you that are so hard to believe, we've all got those. Little inklings of something we'd love to do for God, someplace we'd like to go for God, something that we'd like to do for God. Choosing the choice of God. You might have heard this story about the great Billy Graham, who was wanting to be a businessman. And just struggled and struggled and struggled. He's 22 years old. He's in Bible school. He's going the direction of ministry, but he doesn't want to go that way. Goes out one day, finds a, a stump of an old tree, kneels down in front of it, read his autobiography, and he's just, he's just pleading with God, don't make me go into ministry. I don't want to be a pastor. I don't want to be a rev. I don't want to do any of that. And he is just in agony, and he's struggling with his, with his calling. And he finally comes to peace and he lays his Bible down and bows his head and he, and he just surrenders to whatever the will of God might be. He chooses the choice. And according to him, from that day, he began having these inner pictures and impressions or visions, if you will, of large stadiums huge crowds and the distinct impression that he would be a part of it. <laughs> and that's, of course, what happened. He believed that God was calling and I'm so glad that he did. So she was chosen, favored, she yielded, she believed. And so there's just one thing left. She praises. I don't want to 
tear apart this passage too much, the Magnificat, many of you are familiar with it. It's just so good on its own. But maybe I'll just make a couple comments as we go. Verses 46 to 56. Scholars tell us that in these 10 verses of this apparently improvisational song, came out of nowhere, wasn't written down, that she, she sings and she speaks. There are no less than 15 different Bible references. Now, girls in those days were not enrolled in compulsory Torah education, but she was full of Scripture. Listen for them. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Notice what's happening in Mary is not just in the mind, it's in the soul, it's in the heart, it's in the spirit. She's being touched at the deepest levels in this situation. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. She again mentions the humility of her situation. But behold, from now on, is this true? All generations will call me blessed. And we're talking about Mary today. What what a blessed woman. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. How many of you could say that, that God has done great things for you? I have a wife that I've told you about, should have died, could have died on April 6th, and she's here somewhere in the room. And the best thing about Denise is she's not dead. And she really could have been. In all seriousness, may I say, God has done great things for me. And I think if you look back through your life, as young or old as you might be, God has done great things for you. And the amazing thing about God is he can do great things, and to him it's easy. And to us, it would be impossible. And holy is his name. And notice the new word that's going to be introduced in verse 50. And his mercy. One of the most beautiful themes of scripture is the mercy of God. Grace tends to come through faith. Mercy comes through nothing. Mercy comes when you don't deserve anything. Maybe you didn't even ask for God's help. But his mercy is for those who fear him. People that fear God have a strong sense of his mercy. That even though they've messed up and they've fallen off the path or whatever, there's always mercy for those who fear him. How long? From generation to generation. You study the ministry of Jesus and the gospels, and one of the things you'll see is how many interruptions he had. It's amazing. Learning to handle interruptions Look at the life of Jesus. And people were coming to him and asking for this and requesting that and yelling about another and up in trees and, you know, all kinds of things. But you look at the people that approach Jesus, and if they used the word mercy, if they asked for mercy, he always healed them, touched them, blessed them, mercy. If you don't know what else to do, say, Lord, please, I'm lost. I don't know what to do. Have mercy on me. 
And verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He is scattered. Now, notice how he deals with some kinds of people without much mercy. Notice these people. He has shown strength with his arm. He scatters the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones, but he exalts those of what? Humble estate. That's most of us. He has filled the hungry with good things, but the rich he sends empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and the offspring forever, Mary stays with Elizabeth three more months, and then she goes home. She praises. So many of us are late to services. We miss the worship, and we're missing something that is so important. Worship is not just the prelude to the message. Worship is an experience of its own. You may not know it by looking at me, but I have a default problem that occurs to me at times, not all the time, and it's not a, a too severe a thing, but I know what anxiety is. Not necessarily fear or terror, but just anxiety. The Greek word means pulled two directions at once. I know it's going to turn out okay, but, but how? And I know it's going to be okay, but when? You ever have any of that kind of thing go off in you, anxiety? When I was young in ministry, and I was trying so hard to be this pastor guy, and this would have been, I was maybe 23, 24, and trying to figure this whole thing out, I finally, uh, I was having so much inner uh, indigestion and rumbling and grumbling. I, I don't know anyone whose stomach can make more better noises than mine. And I was just, I was just sick. I was sick. So I went to Dr. Charles Letterer, a guy in my city, a doctor, who'd come to Christ under my dad's ministry in the Episcopal Church. And I was a mess. And I said, Dr. Letterer, this is killing me. And I, you know, I think I'm going to get an ulcer. I think I'm going to go nuts. But, it, but in me tension, it shows up here. Anybody else like that? So he listened to me very patiently. And then he gets out what they used to have in those days, the little purple-pink prescription pads. Now, today, they'll just type it into you know, something and send it off. But he writes something on there. And so I, I'm hoping he's going to give me some, a miracle medicine of some sort. And so he slides it across the desk. It was the, in the days where after every appointment you had with a doctor, you'd go back to his office, and he'd sit and talk with you. So it pushes that across the thing, and I look at it, and <laughs> I wish I had kept it. It says this, buy this book, Prison to Praise, by Merlin Carruthers. You know that book. And so I thought, I wanted medicine, but you prescribed praise. I want to tell you, you can praise your way through anything. If you can just get your eyes off you and on God, and like Mary, extol him and praise him, 
I love Elevation Worship these days and Maverick City and some of these, these groups that just get me in that. But how I wish for you that when you're 50 years into your Christian life, that you'll be able to look back and think, oh, I made a lot of mistakes, but I made it. Like Dr. Moreland said last week, don't fall back. Thank you for listening. If you would like more teachings and information about Calvary Monterey, please visit calvary.com. You can also find books, teachings through the Bible, and articles from our lead pastor at nateholdridge.com. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next week.